Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Welcome to Wood Talk, for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who take big pieces of wood and make them smaller. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's episode 294 for February 8th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about designing your own projects, biscuit depression, starting a saw, and attaching a tabletop. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, Bruso Hardware. Bruso Hardware provides high-quality, American-made woodworking hardware for furniture, cabinets, boxes, and more. Wood Talk listeners can use coupon code WOODTALK for 10% off your first order at bruso.com. And we'd also like to thank a special person who helped us out with a donation, Paige Bonafassi? Bonafassi? I'm not good. Come on, Italian dude. Bonafacci. Yeah, I was, but I would think if it was two C's, you would do the the Achi sound. Yeah, maybe, but no, you know uh, how you know what happens at, at a um, Ellis Island when people come in. They just clean yeah. it up and Americanize yeah. it. Bonafacci becomes Boniface. Boniface. Yeah, well, that's that's why Spag N U O L O becomes Spagnolo. Of course, yeah. why not? Uh, you know, the thing is, I'm Italian American. My dad spoke Italian. My whole uh, grandparents' house, everything was Italian. No one thought to teach the the grandkids Italian. Um, because again, why, why would you, they're trying to Americanize. There's no need for this language. Let's just make sure these kids can speak English, uh, which I, I barely do at this point. So <laughs> not so Way great to go, Spagnolo parents. <laughs> New Jersey, New Jersey, public school education. Uh, it's good stuff, uh, but you can help out too. Just like Paige did go to woodtalkshow.com. Look for those donation links in a side column and uh, you can send a few bucks our way. We always appreciate that because it helps keep the show going. It helps overcome biscuit depression. That, that's right. That, that, I like that it's title. actual disease. That was a good one. I, I'd be depressed if I was using biscuits all the time. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> that, that's that's funny is I could go for some biscuits right now. That biscuits, would cure my depression. Biscuits and gravy, right? <laughs> all right. Let's move into what's on the bench. Uh, for me, making just a sort of typical progress here. Moving a little bit slow with this bed project, but um, moving right along with the grooves, getting ready to assemble uh, the footboard and headboard with the panels. But what I'm trying to do right now is just kind of contemplating the panel stock. Like I, I want to get through the project. Hold on a second. I have to clear my throat. <coughs> is that better? <laughs> yes, that's better. Uh, so yeah, I'm trying to, uh, to figure out what I want to do with these panels. So the lazy me is like, well, I could just go buy some quarter inch plywood and be done with it. But then I'm like, this is my bed. This is like the bed Nicole and I are going to sleep in probably for the next 20 years, maybe more. Um, and I'm, then that's not actually an expiration date on our marriage. Um, that's, <laughs> that's me trying to figure out how long we're actually going to keep a piece of furniture. Um, but I'm estimating 20 years. I don't know why it's a good number. So and I'm like, you know what? No, I can't do that. I've got to actually go and get something that looks good. You know, so I'm thinking, all right, I've got to seek out some crotch walnut or something with some figure, some pizzazz to it. Cause those panels are really going to be part of the, the, the showpiece element of this bed. So, uh, I, I've got to give it more thought and I've definitely got to go to, uh, 
probably woodworker source and see if they have anything good there. And uh, we'll likely drop a decent amount of money on some good boards because their wood is expensive. Uh, but I think it's worth it. You know, when you're doing that showpiece thing that people will walk in your bedroom and just go, wow, look at that. You just don't necessarily want straight grain, simple material there. So uh, that will be an expensive endeavor, but I think it'll be worth it. Uh, Nicole says she doesn't want random people in our bedroom. <laughs> I was just going to ask, how many people do you have in your bedroom? Uh, well, it depends on the week. Sometimes on the weekend. Uh, but you know what? The, the when, we give, when we give people shop tours, it's one of the first things they want to do. Hey, can we see your bedroom? Like, yeah, sure. Come on in. Come on in. You got to use the toilet too? Here, here use this one. Uh, so yeah. Here's $20. <laughs> 20 bucks. <laughs> want to take my kid to school while you're here? Thanks. Uh, but yeah. That, that's about it for me. Uh, what do you got going on, Matt? <laughs> I am working on dovetailing a drawer for the uh, the sofa table. And what's interesting about this is I haven't done any dovetailing in like, I don't know, a couple of months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I started cleaning up my, my tailboard. I'm like, this is kind of sloppy. <laughs> <laughs> Slacking so off. One of, the, one of the things that I do when I'm making my drawers is I leave the drawer size long at first. So I so if I have this problem, I just cut the stupid tails off and then do it again. <laughs> do over. And right. not have to worry about making new drawer stock. <laughs> nice. So even if they're a little bit off, I mean the joints holding together, is it still usable or you gotta you have to do the uh, do over? I am doing the do over before I even cut the, the pin sockets. <laughs> nice. So nice. I mean I, if I show it to someone, they'd probably be like, What's well, that's not that bad? But I'm like, I know what I've been able to do in the past and this is you know, it's like going past my baseline a couple of places. I'm like, this is not, yeah, it's not your best work. This is not my best work, especially when it's, when people are looking at it, like on a video and I'm supposed to be like, you know, teaching people how to do this. And it looks like that. Yeah, exactly. You got to <laughs> you ask know? yourself sometimes, is this my best Cremona? <laughs> I don't think it is. See, and that's where the advice I got from Roy Underhill a couple of years ago is good. Just keep moving it. So that the camera can't focus on it. <laughs> Just keep it in constant motion and you never know what happens. All right, Mark, my, this video's going to be very blurry. I hope it's okay. <laughs> can't really see I what's going appreciates on. appreciates that. Yeah, take my word for it. It's actually a nice tight joint. Very cool. It is funny, though, because it's not like riding a bike, you know, and dovetails really don't happen all that often in, in furniture. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's mostly kind of a mortise and tenon type thing, dado, rabbit, groove, that type of stuff. And dovetails are like, you know, if you're if you're putting together like a, a case or doing drawers, you know, and then every now and then you've got they come up in weird situations. But it's just, you know, I, I ran into the same thing, especially building a bed because it was all mortise and tenons. And then I moved on to a blanket chest and I was like, oh, <laughs> oy vey, you know, this is like curly cherry. <laughs> so I'm like cutting practice joints over here to kind of warm up the dovetail and uh, muscles again. Yeah. yeah That's you why know I always start in the back of the drawers, the bottom and the back in like a chest of drawers. You go yeah, to the ones that no one will ever first. see. Yep. Smart. Yep. Cool. Sounds good. Shannon, what's going on with you? Um, I am, I'm having like an OCD breakdown. Um, this is the problem with doing shop projects. Is it's like, you know, your shop is your little clubhouse and it's like you want everything to be just perfect. So I'm taking the time to make this new sharpening station and I can't help but just get like mired in minutia. It's like because I know I've been working with the same sharpening station for, I don't know, five, six years, maybe longer than that. And I know what I don't like about it. I know what I do want. And it's like, well, you know, make sure you get this one right. I don't want to rebuild this again. (laughs) And it's like everything's got to have a cubby. You know, it's like. Am I going too far by having an individual cubby for each individual sharpening stone? Probably, you know, and it's like, <laughs> maybe so I'm, I'm like sketching stuff out. I've got the, the carcass kind of uh, all cut to size and everything. And I'm just figuring out where to put the dados and grooves and stuff to hold all the little dividers for all the little cubbies and things. Um, imagine like a gallery and like a secretary desk. Matt, you know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's like every every little divider is like, well, that's another dado I've got to cut. And usually uh-huh. it's like some sort of blind dado or something. So it's like, <laughs> okay, stop being stupid here. You know, and so I, I go through these phases of just, just put the whole thing together. And then like I'll, I'll sleep on it and I'll wake up the next morning going, no, I really do need to have a separate cubby for that. And a separate <laughs> cubby for that. And it's like I know it, it, it's it's all about function. You know, when it's a shop project and it's like, I don't really care about the fine flowing lines or whatever. I just want it to to be, have everything exactly where I want it, you know, and it's causing a problem. And next thing you know, it's the studly tool chest. Exactly. That's, I totally relate to studly right now because that's exactly what he was doing. Well, I got to have a place for the, everything has to have a home. 
Well, the thing that's tricky with shop furniture, though, I don't know, maybe I'm indecisive about my tooling sometimes, but things change. So there yeah. are times where I'll have like a very precisely cut out location or something, and then I'll go, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm switching to this drill now, or I added this thing to my collection, and now this beautiful display that I have is plus one. <laughs> you know, where, right. I, where I swap something out, and now that doesn't fit in the, the position I had it before. So that's the thing with shop furniture. I feel like it needs to be more versatile and flexible or, or modular in a sense uh, to, to kind of grow with my, my tool collection as it moves around. Yeah, I mean, I doubt that my sharpening regimen is going to change, change too much, but there's still, you know, especially in a hand tool shop because I've got so many different shapes of blades that have to be sharpened yeah. and then there's saws. So it's like, well, I've got to figure out how to integrate the saw vise and, you know, the turning tools sharpening. It's, yeah, it's I'm, a mess. I'm, I, I have a problem. Set it all up <laughs> for sharpening. Yeah, better you yeah, than there me. There we go. Better you than me. <laughs> My new sharpening station will just be a box that perfectly holds the stuff so then I can nail the lid down and mail it out. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Let's move into our kickback. It's where you guys give us some uh, comments, either from the website or social media or email, whatever. Uh, let's see. So we got one here from John. He says, just an update on the card scraper. Shannon, I think you were right about the angle of the hook. I tried turning, turning, turning it a bit less and had better luck. I even turned the burr like William, William Eng did, uh, freehand with some flair. Uh, it actually gave me the best shavings. That's right. I actually have a woodworking skill in common with William Eng. It's not much, but I'll take it. Thanks again, John. Cool. Very Thanks nice. for that, John. Good news. Uh, this next one comes from Eric. He says, a quick question about mortise chisels that were briefly discussed in episode 293. If you were to buy new ones, would you go English style like Ray Isles or whatever the other style is called, <laughs> like the Lee Nielsen mortise chisels? Uh, Eric's referring to just the the square-sided Lee Nielsen mortise chisels. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. What do we call those? We just call them mortise chisels. And we call the other ones English style. Uh, if I were to buy mortise chisels today, I would buy English style. Um, I like the trapezoidal cross section of an English style mortise chisel. Uh, if you ever have to chop a deep mortise, you'll thank me <laughs> because the, the, the consistent rectangular shape of the other ones, it will kind of get frozen in there. And the trapezoidal shape, you just kind of tilt it forward and it kind of breaks loose. I also like the um, the way the handle only fits in your hand. Well, mm. two ways technically, um, but it, it perfectly aligns the bevel with the direct with the long axis of the mortise, and it makes it a lot easier to keep that mortise straight. I know a lot of people have problems, not so much falling off of square, but the chisel twisting in their hand uh, as they as they um, chop as they hammer it down. The English style, because that handle is oblong, it, it won't do that. It's really easy to line things up. It's a visual representation. It's also a tactile representation. And they look cool. Yeah, they do. That's why I have Japanese chisels. Because they, yeah, they, look, they cool. look cool. It's <laughs> good on the wall. That it does. All right. This is from Tim. He says, Matt, I'm realizing, oh, it's to me, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> I'm realizing I may not have provided enough of an explanation of what a fresh air kit is. It sounded like Mark just thought it, they put a hole in my wall with a cover. Yeah, it's what you said. That is what I thought. <laughs> I, I actually have something like Matt said he has. From the outside of the house to the place the hole is, looks like a dryer vent. On the inside, a four-inch hose, like a heavy-duty dryer hose, connects directly to the furnace uh, burner. So the burner is only drawing outside air. If the outside vent ever gets clogged, the installer said bees sometimes make a nest in the nest and block the vent. A flap opens in the basement and it draws inside air like it used to. I don't think I'll ever spray a finish in the basement, but it's nice to know that if I'm using something like Armor Seal, the furnace is not sucking those fumes in. Or I guess since nothing is 100%, at least it's not sucking a majority of the fresh air, fresh outside air. Thanks for all your advice you've offered over the years. Just wanted to share this since I would not have known this was an option until the uh, until the installer suggested it. Hmm. Good clarification. Uh, by the way, uh, I was just reminded that I totally skipped over what's new. So let's, <laughs> let's jump backwards to we're what's just switching new. it up. That's all we're doing. Yeah, just you know keeping it fresh. Uh, yeah. Huck wrote in and said, "Not really new, but couldn't find it already mentioned on the site. A ten minute video about the handmade rasps from Oroyu." Are you? Are you? Are you? you? Watch how they make the teeth at about the 530 mark in the video. So we'll embed that and you can check it out. I have not this even watched the one it yet. with the guy just sits there hammering teeth all day. That sounds yeah. exciting. It's riveting. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> kind of. Da, da, da. Uh, so yeah, go check it out. 
It's not riveting. It's stitching. Stitching. Well, it's <laughs> close enough. There was a there was something there. I had there was a piece of something comedy genius, and I missed it. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure, comedy genius. Let's go with that. <laughs> so, so I'm curious. There's been some talk lately in social media about woodworking in America. You know, they're going back to Cincinnati. They've got the dates sometime in September. Um, but uh, I'm kind of excited because I've actually been asked to teach. So this is the beginning of the end of woodworking in America. Yeah, they're slumming it this year. <laughs> it's it's official. Mark the calendars. <laughs> but um, I think maybe all three of us will be there. Maybe. It's, it's in the plans. Uh, yeah. I've missed the last two years, so I'm overdue. Yeah. So maybe there'll be, be maybe there'll be a wood talk meetup. Who knows? Well, if we're all there, then we're going to have to do it. Well, the other thing, too, is there's now there's a lot of meetups going on. Um, now that the, uh, YouTube, uh, crew has discovered woodworking in America, it's hard to plan. <laughs> it's been discovered. Yeah. It's hard to plan a, a evening thing without stepping on someone else's thing. So we may just wind up like, I don't know, uh, hitching on someone else's wagon <laughs> while we're there. <laughs> or if you guys really want it, I mean, we could definitely plan a independent, um, wood talk meetup if you wanted to do that. No problem. We did that once before and uh, it would turn out great. So yeah, it was a smashing success. So I don't know. Everyone had a whoopee. It's not till September. It's just, you know, plenty of time to plan. Okay. I'm, I'm just excited. And of course, since I'm teaching, like I've had to get course descriptions in and stuff already. So it's just like, Oh wow. I got to get ready for that. And then I look at the calendar go, no, I don't. I can tell you from experience that these events are so much less fun when you actually have to teach or do a session. Just oh, great. Just a heads up. Yeah. Well, I can, <laughs> I can relate slightly just based on having a booth before, you know, it's yeah. like when you're in the marketplace, um, trying to sell stuff. Yeah. It's yeah, not there's the nothing like the freedom of just going without a care in the world, going where you want, when you want, having fun, you know, it's a whole different story when you actually have to work. Great. Uh, now I'm not looking forward to it. Thanks. Sorry. Go buzzkill. <laughs> I should have waited yeah. till September to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move into our featured topic today. This one comes in from uh, Steve. He's got a question and we're going to kind of go and I guess bat this one around. It's a little bit of a, a big topic, really. Uh, I consider myself an intermediate woodworker. I've made large projects from plans from other um, major woodworking magazines. I'd like to build an arts and crafts style jewelry chest, but can't find a plan that I like. I've seen many pictures of some interesting ones on Pinterest and other websites. Do you have some tips or recommendations to make that jump from reproducing from a set of plans to designing from an idea or from a picture? So this, like, we can do a whole show on this, I think, if we really were going to do the answer justice, but we got to find a way to do this quickly. (laughs) But, you know, for me, I'll just give my personal experience. I like, like, if it's something, a good example might be a chair. Okay, there are some chairs out there where the proportions, the way the pieces go together, people have already worked those things out. You know, someone has done that work. So if I want to do something that's a little bit more to my liking, uh, I may find a set of plans that's as close as I could possibly get. And what you may have to do is just completely strip it down to the basics. If it's the dimensions you like, then start there. Uh, If you want to look at the, the relative proportions of various pieces, you'll find those in that plan. But you can then take that as your foundation and then build upon it to make it look the way you want it to look. So don't totally dismiss all those plans that you've seen because they don't look like what you want. The bones might be good for what you want. So I think as you're training yourself, uh, you know, and even now I could, I could do this from the ground up if I wanted to, but I also like to, uh, I don't like to waste motion if I don't have to. So if someone has already done some of this work, let me build upon that and make it my own, you know? So that would be my first recommendation is check out some of those plans and see how well they might be able to be modified to those things that you're seeing in Pinterest and these other places. So what else would you guys recommend at this point, uh, you know, for someone who's, who's trying to design from things they see in pictures? Well, they always say <clears throat> form over function, right? Or no function over form. <laughs> I don't know. What's the adage? Um, <laughs> what's the, the, the dude, I can never remember form his name. Follows he function? was on the show. Is that what we're trying um, to say? From a framework. Oh, Brandon Gore. Thank you, Brandon. Brandon had something really mm. key on the show. I think he said um, furniture has to be functional. If it's not functional, it's just art. Yeah. Um, and, you know, hopefully it's artistic, but it's got to be functional in order to be furniture. So mm. I, I do think you need to think about that. And in this particular case, he's looking for a jewelry chest. So there's a lot of that, you know, the heights and, and overall dimensions. And is it a standalone thing? A lot of that is kind of up to you. And it's the interior, the guts that have to be functional. And even then could be a series of drawers. Maybe it's got things to hang necklaces on or whatever. That's the part that, that you can figure out and, and tailor to your own thing. But the, the rest of it, 
it's kind of entirely up to you, which I know makes things a little bit difficult. So if you actually find one you like and you want to reproduce it, I think one of the key skills that any woodworker can have is how to reproduce something from a picture. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really as simple as you want to try to get a photograph that is kind of as square onto the piece as possible. Um, It's not always possible, especially if you're pulling stuff off of Pinterest or whatever. But what you have to do is find something in that photograph of which you know the dimension. So say it's a tabletop or um, and, and you look or a cabinet and you, you can look at the top of it and go, you know, that looks about normal. It's probably about three quarters of an inch, maybe seven eighths of an inch thick. Mm-hmm. And you just make that assumption and, and you may determine, hey, I want a little bit thicker top on mine or whatever. So you'll just say that top. I'm going to assume is three quarters of an inch thick. So then you actually take a ruler and you measure the thickness of that top in the photograph. Now you've got what the thickness is in the photograph and you've got what you want it to be of three quarters of an inch. And you can create a multiplier from that just by dividing one into the other. Then you can take actual measurements from the photograph. So say if it's, you know, uh, three inches tall in the photograph, you multiply three by whatever your multiplier is. And that gives you its real life dimension. And you can literally work your way through the photograph and reconstruct this in its actual size. Um, Where things get a little difficult is if the photograph is taken at an off angle, in which case you have to actually lay a grid over top of it. And that's really hard to describe in audio. So I'm not going to go there. (laughs) Um, Other than to tell you, I've got some great instruction in the hand tool school that tells you just how to do this. Oh, very nice. Um, but it is something that I think is, is, is worthwhile learning to do, especially if you ever want to get into reproducing stuff. Um, and kind of like to, to jump on what Mark said earlier, a lot of times the guts are the same and we're changing it just by adding kind of elements to it or adornments to the outside. They don't really change how the piece goes together or mm-hmm. the guts of the piece. It's just you decided to add a, you know, more of a taper to the leg or more of a curve to that leg or you added a cool new molding along the top. And the rest of it is uh, is all exactly the same. Yeah. What do you think, Matt? I think I do what Shan does sometimes. If we want to reproduce something exactly, but I do it in Photoshop and measure pixels and don't print it out and use a ruler like an old man. Oh, jeez. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Mr. Fancy Pants over here. I had to get some controversy going because this is too boring. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> nice. Um, but if you're actually trying to just make something based off of like I do that a lot. Most of my stuff, I don't really enjoy making off of plans. Mm-hmm. So like I'll find something I like and my wife will find something that she likes and it's up to me to kind of build something that resembles that. So a lot of times you can kind of see what the dimensions are. Maybe the maybe it's something in the store that, and it tells you how big it is in general. You know how big it is just because of the function or where you want to put it or whatever. And it becomes up to you as a woodworker to, to decide the joinery of it. It can be joined however you want. And I think that's where it really comes down to a lot of the challenges for people is like, okay, that's cool. Here's this, this piece. It's completed. I don't know how it went together or, or what. But in reality, most of the time, it doesn't really matter exactly how they built it. You can build it however you want and have those pieces come together and join however you feel comfortable. Right. Isn't that the fun part too, you know? Yeah. Like figuring that stuff out and, and, and adding your own joinery to it, if you will. Yeah. No, there's <laughs> to a be fair, point. I've used SketchUp for this too. Oh, I use that all the time. Jerk. Yeah. I use SketchUp. But it's not You can take love. the photograph imported into SketchUp and if you know like say how tall it is, as you import that photograph, you can say I want it to be X tall and then you can just use a little tape measure and go about it that way. So. I don't know. I'm still more impressed by Matt's method, frankly. Yeah. Well, I, you know, to be honest, I haven't thought about trying to use Photoshop. I use Photoshop for like graphics and stuff. So. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool, but I I'm definitely more the ruler and printout from the computer kind of guy and like, you know, just figure it out. Uh, but yeah, it seems like one of those things too, is you get a little bit more experience under your belt. You can kind of riff on designs a little bit more freely. You don't have to really dissect it to that level because you know, generally speaking, your style is, you know, a face frame style or something is going to be an inch and a half, you know, and if you want something a little wider for whatever reason you can, but you know, those starting points, cause there are sort of rules of thumb, uh, that you could build off of just because you've seen it enough times, uh, it just does become easier as time goes on. Uh, all right. So, uh, I w- just wanted to make sure you guys understood something. Um, you guys know I'm a man, right? Uh, and as yeah. such, as such, I occasionally have hair in places that I don't want hair. Oh, this is where this is going. Okay. You okay. All right. Brace yourself. <laughs> strap yourselves in. This is going to be a wild ride. Uh, so here's a little story. 
So Nicole, she likes to occasionally, like once a month, she likes to go get a massage. And she says, hey, Mark, I think it would be great if you went with me to get a massage. We could do a couple's massage. I'm like, hey, that is fantastic. But here's the problem. I don't want someone's hands all over me if I have hair in places I don't want hair that I'm embarrassed about, right? So I've got a little bit of hair on my shoulders. Okay, back to the beginning. I'm a man. This is what happens. And if this is, if this is odd to you, you might not be a man. All right, just, just putting that out there. Or a younger man. Or a younger man. You might be a boy. <laughs> or, you, or you could be a woman. And, you know, there's lots of, lots of reasons here. Either way. So anyway, Nicole says, we're going, we're going for this massage. And I'm like, well, crap. I'm super self-conscious about it, right? So what did I do? I grabbed my Harry's razor because it's got five blades in the cartridge. And I shaved the crap out of that stuff. And I was baby butt smooth. So much so that the masseuse lady, she's like, oh, you have such smooth shoulders. And I was like, I know. I know. Because I shaved with my Harry's razor. <laughs> Now, meanwhile, my face was still uh, covered in stubble because that's just how I roll. Uh, so when I do shave my face, I mean, look at it this way. If I can do that on my shoulders, imagine what it could do on a simple face, right? It's good stuff. Uh, Shannon mentioned that I should probably be going into the shop and building an extension stick yes. so I can reach my back. <laughs> oh, man, it's good stuff. But anyway, just want to tell you a little bit about our friends over at Harry's. They're the only shaving company that has both amazing quality and low prices. They feature German-engineered five-blade cartridges that produce a close, comfortable shave. No cuts or burns, even on your back. Uh, quality is guaranteed, and they'll give you a full refund if you're not happy. They cut out the middleman, so you get to take advantage of the factory direct prices, about half the price of the competition, and everything is shipped right to your door. Over 1 million guys have already made the switch and thousands more switch every day. Why pay 32 bucks for an 8-pack of blades when you can get them about half price at harrys.com? Uh, the Harry Starter Set is an amazing deal for just $15. You get a razor, moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blades. Now, Harry's doesn't like to discount because the prices are already so low, uh, but we've worked out a special offer for you guys here. Uh, Harry's will give you $5 off your first order with promo code WOODTALK. Stop overpaying for a great shave and start the new year off right. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter code WOODTALK at checkout. And if you tell them you're shaving your back, I don't know, maybe they'll do something a little extra for you. <laughs> a little sympathy. A little sympathy your masseuse card. will thank you. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Your masseuse will thank you. Uh, so thanks very much, Harry's. We appreciate you sponsoring the show. Let's move on to our voicemail. And thank you, Mark, for taking us down that dark and scary. <laughs> was that was that TMI? I mean, come on, everyone. This is what happens to dudes at, at a certain age. Some don't, you know. Obviously, some are lucky and don't have that problem, but hairy Italian guys generally do. It's just the way things go. Some are just comfortable with the way they are. That's true. Some just go in there like a like a hairy ape and are like, yeah, rub me down with that oil, baby. <laughs> oil me up. I hope your fingers don't get tangled. Oh my God. <laughs> That's not me. All right. Let's hear, let's hear what Richard has to say. Hey, fellas. This is Richard in Largo, Florida. I was just listening to an old episode, uh, 185, I believe it was, and you mentioned Kaleo. And uh, it got me wondering, whatever happened to Kaleo? And how come uh, we never hear about him on the show anymore? Interested to uh, know what he's up to. Looking forward to your answer. Thanks. All right. Well, if you Google Kaleo Kala, you can probably find some information on him. Um, to my best recollection, he started brewing root beer for a while. <laughs> he like took a break from woodworking and was in his root beer brewing thing. Uh, but then I think what happened was he realized that he was, and this happens to a lot of folks who get, well, it used to happen now. I don't know how much it happens, but you get into this content production game. And especially if you've come from it, like Kaleo did, he went to, to school to design school and had a real strong focus on design and was trying to build a furniture business, but got wrapped up in the content production. And I think he just realized at a certain point that this wasn't actually conducive to building his business because he didn't want his business to be a YouTube channel. Uh, so he basically backed off from what I understand and focused more on building his furniture, building his brand and continuing to put out high quality furniture and not worried so much about like sharing every little detail on podcasts. Uh, so you can find him on Facebook. Just look up uh, Kala Studios, Kala Studios, K-A-L-A Studios, and you'll find him. He doesn't post that often. His last post was in December, uh, but he's a busy family man, and I'm assuming at this point he's running his business. I don't actually know the details. I've sort of lost uh, touch with Kaleo a little actually, bit. I think a lot of that went on hold. I believe his wife is in the diplomatic corps, so they're okay. in Africa right I know. Now. Well, see, I've, I've, that's the other thing. They move around a lot. Um, yeah, they were in, I they're, think, they're in, I don't know where in Africa. Wow. That is, so he, uh, he took his kids with him too. That's a cool experience yeah. for them. Oh, absolutely. How great <laughs> is that? 
He bought a Land Rover and is tooling around the African countryside, taking well, care of his go. kids, I believe. So he's doing his thing. Definitely. He's just not as, uh, you know, deeply entrenched in the online woodworking community anymore, uh, which yeah. is something that happens. He's got some cool stuff in his line. I mean, he's definitely stayed true to his style. Mm-hmm. You can definitely look at it and go, that's a collab piece. Yeah, so. for sure. So there you go. Look him up. Uh, another question here from Nate. Hey, this is for Wood Talk. This is Nate calling out in California. And I recently got a DeWalt planer, the DW, whatever it is, 735X, the one with feed and outfield feeds, um, tables. And I got it set up, I think, well. Uh, but I still have horrendous snipe at the beginning and end of boards. I was uh, playing some beach, and uh, I just cannot figure this out. I looked at a Highland Word Working um, online board that talked about or a, uh, article that talked about raising the boards uh, as it enters and exits to try and compensate for this, uh, and I cannot get it to work. So I'm wondering if uh, you guys have covered this before. Maybe you can point me to an article or uh, just let me know. My only other alternative is using my number seven joiner, which I'm pretty handy with it, but I'd really like to just use the planer. Thanks. All right. Common problem. Snipe. Also common question on the show. Uh, episode 148 and then again in episode 52. And now I'm not sure if in 148 I actually answered the question or just referred them to 52. <laughs> so this might uh, be a trickle down sort of thing. Um, but just very briefly, he mentioned, you know, pulling up on the board is a way to tackle it. Um, snipe is just one of those things that can be incredibly difficult to to resolve. Um, and lifting up on the boards is one of those things. You can actually take, uh, depends on your setup. I don't know about his particular planer, but you can take the infeed and outfeed tables and kind of set them up or shim them if you want to so that they actually are up at a slight angle. Uh, the right. planer is like it's strong enough to force that board down flat so then once it gets out of there if you have just a little bit of help pushing it upwards you can kind of simulate what you would be doing by hand if you're trying to eliminate the snipe um, other things you can do one thing that really helped reduce it on my powermatic planer was adjustment of the chip breaker height so the chip breaker in relation to the blade as the the cutter head is spinning that's a crucial number and mine was off so I found that once I made that adjustment, it was a little bit better. Uh, I also found that the rollers on the bottom, now not every model is going to have these, but if you have uh, rollers that help push the piece along on the bottom, they're just uh, passive rollers, uh, you just move those below the surface. Those are kind of just there for really rough material, and if you're not running really, really rough stock and skip planing all the time, you can just keep those below the surface and uh, leave them out so they're not even a factor. Um, once you do those things, if you still have snipe, You know, sometimes I've seen situations where it's just something you have to live with, which really sucks. But what you can then do, I don't like the whole, you know, keep the board six inches longer so you could lop off the end when you're done. I think that's crap. Um, So what I would rather do is put another piece behind it. So I try to trail all my pieces and run them through back to back so that uh, the only pieces who even have a chance to get snipe are the very first piece at the leading edge and the trailing edge of the last piece. And I find that that at least reduces it enough that I could live with it and work with it. And most of the pieces come out nice and flat. Um, but again, refer to those other two episodes. I'm sure we get into it a little bit deeper there. You can adjust the infeed and outfeed tables on the 735. That's the model I used to have. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and if you do tweak them up just a little bit, it, it eliminated all the snipe for me. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, Ma- Matt, did you have, you have any particular experience trying to get rid of snipe with your planer? I had the same planer and I honestly never had a snipe problem there's a couple of things like I think about when people say they have a lot of snipe with that planer and like the tables could be one thing and lifting up on the board is one thing as well. But like if you're running rough stock through it, if you have like a twist on the board, once that back roller lets go of that board, it kind of is free to move mm-hmm. under that cutter head. So maybe yeah. if you're not flattening your boards first before you set them through your planer, that could be some extra snipe because of the way the, the shape of the board is, is going through there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think otherwise, like there's just like all these other things you can try to make it better. You know, if they're really long boards, you can be way more prone to snipe if you're not supporting those ends. Because that's a lot of weight hanging off the planer when it, uh, you know, jumps off that roller. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's yeah, a lot sometimes, of things. Sometimes it's just a matter of catching it, you know. You can't yeah. just let it go. You need to go around to the other, to the outfeed side and kind of receive it as it comes out. Because if you've got too much, especially as you said with a long board, if there's just too much pressure, can't deliver it off the edge, it's mm-hmm. going to give you snipe. So you're not really lifting up, you're just catching it you know i haven't yeah. had a whole lot of luck with that method though like i know that's one of the things they really? say to do yeah just like if the, because that's 
it, it, I guess it can work in some cases, but it hasn't like when you have a really significant snipe problem due to a calibration issue. Okay. Well, yeah. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> like if it's, if it's a, like if it's a big long board, yeah. Even if you don't have a snipe problem, you will, if you yeah. don't support the weight, like that's, that's a, a given. But when you actually have a real snipe problem, I don't find that lifting the board is, Correct. is really a, a very useful solution. It doesn't produce good results, at mm. least from my experience. But I think therein lies the difference between the lunchbox planer and uh, a floor standing planer. Cause I mean, that's, I didn't know any different, but there's really nothing to adjust on the uh, 735. Especially that when you can't box. even change the blades or anything because they're all <laughs> right. indexed as well. Yeah, they're indexed. So, uh, but nothing when I got my Grizzly, like <laughs> I've got the you know the passive rollers on the bottom. You can adjust the height of those. You can adjust. Right. I didn't know there was a chip breaker on a planer. A chip breaker? I was like, yeah, chip breaker. <laughs> um, you know, all there was all kinds of adjustment points on my my Grizzly, which is basically the same as the Powermatic, just with a coat of green paint and right, a foreign-made right. motor. <laughs> sure. Um, but th- that was a shock to me because I was like, I just thought the planer was, you know, solid bed, you ride it through. So, yeah, it, I agree. Yeah, I I pretty much eliminated Snipe by playing with the in-feed and out-feed tables, and I think those actually come with that planer now. They didn't used to. Mm, okay. I think they, they had so much Snipe without the in-feed and out-feed that DeWalt started including them. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing. There's just nothing to adjust right. on these lunchbox many options. Models. Yeah. But, uh, Chris Schwarz in a most recent pop woodworking said that those lunchbox models are better than a floor standing. Oh, did he? Yep. That's what the title says. I didn't read the article. Okay. Cause I finished, I finished my business and then had to go back to work. <laughs> so read that one. maybe I'll check it. Maybe I'll check it out today. I totally agree with that at all based on my experience. Yeah. It's, it's definitely an interesting, it's a clickbait claim, <laughs> but it's a magazine. Yeah, so really I tried is. clicking. It didn't work. Is it, is it by cost maybe? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I have to look. There's, there, I'm sure there's some practical reasons for it, but ultimately I, I'm right off the well, bat. I, I disagree. I, I can tell you not to drag this out too long, but just because, um, <laughs> The the when I switched to my twenty inch planer, the thing is so unbelievably powerful that I was just like started testing it. I'm like, oh, let's try, it. let's take an eighth of an inch off. Okay, let's take a half an inch off, and it like wasn't even bogging down. And then I started destroying boards because I was removing too much material at once. So yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's why lunchbox planers are bad because they bog down before you start to take off an unhealthy amount of wood. It feels like the difference between a router table and a shaper kind of thing. Yeah. You know, when you jump from a lunchbox to a floor standing. Uh, All right, let's move on to Jeff's question here. He's got something uh, on his mind about epoxy. Hey, guys. This is Jeff from North Carolina. I have a question about West Systems epoxy. Uh, At least that's the one I use. Uh, I've been using it to fill checks and gaps, uh, coloring it with some India ink, and I've been noticing that after I fill it, sand it back, uh, there's what looks to be uh, bubbles in the uh, epoxy uh, that I have to go back and fix. Uh, is there any way to avoid these bubbles in the first place? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm not waiting long enough after I stir it uh, or what the problem might be. Any help would be greatly appreciated. Love the show, guys. All right, so West Systems Epoxy. The only two things I know, and you guys can correct me or add something to it if you have a better idea, only two things I know to help eliminate that are vibration and heat. So if you have a heat gun or a blow dryer, you can sometimes heat up the surface and it causes the bubbles to like pop up at the top, um, but also vibration. There have been times where I'll take a random orbit sander, flip it upside down, and just let the vibration of the housing of the sander sit on the board and let it actually vibrate it. And that sort of shakes those bubbles uh, out and brings them to the top. Um, but a lot of times, you know, just from the mixing of it, you're going to end up with a lot of those little tiny bubbles on the surface. So what I usually do is just make sure I overfill. If I overfill the flaw, so it's actually sitting, you know, maybe as much as a eighth of an inch proud, you know, because that epoxy is very viscous. You can kind of get it to bubble over like that. Uh, if it's sitting up really high, those bubbles then live in that top layer so that when you clean it, scrape it, sand it down, you get below those uh, tiny little surface bubbles into the solid area. Um, but other than heat and vibration, I don't really know of any good solutions to get that air, that the trapped air out of it. I have one tip for you on top of that. <clears throat> okay. so if you're feeling like a check or a crack or something, what I'll do is I, I pour it on one side of the cracker check so that it flows down into the void instead of trying to dump it all on, on top of the void. And then what you're, hap- what you're happening there is you're putting it on top of the crack and it's like trapping the air in the crack under the epoxy. Mm-hmm. So then you have added air that has to get out. So if you put it in one side and let it flow, it kind of takes care of the air problem because it goes underneath 
or goes all the way down to the bottom and fills from the bottom up to the top instead of trying to fill it all the way from the top down. Nice, nice. Sometimes it, that helps. And that's you a good thing about tip, the damn you. Ah, that's a good thing about West <laughs> Systems too. West Systems is really loose. Like if you're yeah. used to the the gooey five minute epoxy stuff, that's not what this stuff is. You need to <laughs> you need to thicken it if you want to get it to that point. This stuff pours really well, so it's good for those little tiny cracks and and should be able to find its way through. You know. A lot of times I'll actually pour it like not in the check, like pour it to the side of the check and then like sweep it in with like a piece of cardboard or something like that. And it just kind of it's like like uh, icing a cake, just kind of spread it over the top. And that Mm. works a little bit easier. Cake. Yeah. Cool. All right. It's it's lunchtime here. Can you tell? (laughs) It's getting close to me. It's a little little early, but I'm getting hungry now. Uh, All right. Let's move into our email. I uh, got one here from Howard. He says, I recently used my new Ryobi biscuit joiner for the first time. I was gluing up two shelves, a three quarter inch walnut, about 19 inches long, put four number 20 biscuits after planing and sanding and putting on about four coats of wipe on poly. I noticed that on one of the two shelves, you can clearly see and feel the three biscuit shaped outlines uh, on one of the shelves. It was still wet when I saw it. I'm assuming he's saying still wet with poly. Um, I don't know if uh, this will be visible when dry. I tried to take a picture, but it didn't show any idea of what I could have done wrong here. Howard. So this is one of those things that can happen sometimes. What do they call that? Like telescoping? Is that that, that the term you would use for that? Sure. Telegraphing. Telegraphing. There you go. Yeah. Telescoping. That didn't <laughs> sound right. Telescoping. Telescoping. Makes no sense. Telegraphing. <laughs> so, so here's a couple things that can happen. First of all, you're creating this little divot in there. So you can have a situation where you've relieved material and as you glue the thing together and let it dry, you just end up with a dip because the material's been removed. And those biscuits generally don't fit super snug. Uh, a lot of times those biscuit, uh, they can actually be loose so that by the time this whole thing runs its course, you wind up with a little bit of a dip there. The other thing that can happen too, and, and a lot of people don't realize this for all glue joints, biscuits or not, uh, once you glue those together, you're introducing moisture into that joint. And what it does is swell the fibers around the joint uh, and directly on the joint. So if you sand that within 12 hours, even within 24 hours sometimes, the, all that moisture is still in the surface and it's uh, essentially effectively swollen. You sand it, you smooth it, and then it continues to dry even after you've done your surfacing so that when it's all said and done, it's going to shrink down below the level that it was before, right? So sometimes you need to give your pieces a little bit more time to cure, uh, give them at least a full 24-hour cycle to cure and make sure that moisture is fully dissipated before you do the surfacing so that once the surfacing is done, it's not going to go any further down. It's not going to shrink down anymore. So think about when you do this with a biscuit joint. Uh, You slather on a whole bunch of glue around the biscuit in the biscuit slot, put that thing together. That's a lot of glue. And when glue is uh, deprived of air, it takes a lot longer for it to actually cure and work its way through the system. So if you just sanded and scraped or planed or whatever you did to the surface the next day, you could have very well just unluckily had trapped moisture in there that didn't rear its ugly head until you're applying the finish because it just started to shrink down a little bit more as it dried more. Right, so it's one of those things where patience in this case is probably going to be your your best friend in the long run for for things along these lines. And even without biscuits, you need to watch out for this because it can actually cause a little divot at your glue lines if you're not careful if you wind up surfacing too soon after the glue up. And that is all I have to say about that. Okay. I agree. Thanks. All right. This uh next email comes from John. He says, I'm having difficulty starting cuts with my new Veritas uh carcass saw. I'm placing the saw on the back edge and using the pull stroke to start the cut. Things go all wonky on the following push stroke. The saw catches, and I inevitably apply too much force, causing the saw to skip out of the newly established curve, marring the workpiece. I'm a total noob with hand saws, so any tricks, suggestions, recommendations would be most appreciated. Okay, John, you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and yeah, a, a backstroke will kind of help to get a saw started, but the backstroke invariably will be wider and more ragged than an actual forward cutting stroke because the backstroke, those teeth are not sharpened that way. Um, they lay back way too far and that's the reason that it works better because the angle is really, really relaxed and it makes it really easy to pull it across. The key that you're missing here is you have to take the weight off the sawtooth, off the, the tooth line in order to make that cut. So, you know, you've got your knife line, your pencil line, whatever it is, you want to position the toe of the saw on, on the wood. It could be the back edge. It could be the leading edge. It doesn't really matter. It could be parallel to the edge of the board you're trying to cut. What you want to do is 
was you grab the saw, and I know the Veritas specifically, it's got that little um, horn that wraps around the underside of your palm. It's got a really pronounced horn on the bottom of the handle. You want to kind of tweak your wrist up so that you feel that horn pressing into the bottom of your hand. What that's doing is levering the weight off the toe of the saw. Essentially, you ought to be able to just slide the saw forward without it catching at all because there's no weight on those starting teeth at all. One exercise you can do to practice this, if you if you pinch the board with, um, uh, we'll, we'll assume you're right-handed. I know I'm left-handed, but it doesn't matter. Use your non-sawing hand, pinch the board between your thumb and forefinger, and then set the saw against that. And if you take all the weight off the saw, you should be able to slide it back and forth, and it's just barely nicking the surface. If you squeeze your thumb and forefinger together on the other hand, what it does is actually push the saw away from you. Well, if you keep pushing the saw back and forth while while squeezing your thumb and forefinger, you're actually creating a little bit of a dado. That saw is sliding laterally back and forth along the board while you're pushing it forward and backwards. If you take the weight off the saw, it's not going to catch, and it's actually going to cut this shallow little dado on the board, a really wide kerf, in other words. That's a great exercise for kind of warming up and getting used to feeling the 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 horn of that handle kind of, I don't want to say digging in, but pressing into the bottom of your palm that tells you you're pulling the weight off the saw. If you've taken the weight off the saw, you can cut, you can start your stroke with just a single pass forward and you're going to get the, the, the effect of the tooth geometry to help you here. Anytime you're pulling back, you're, you're going to give yourself, you're setting yourself up for failure because it's going to end up being a, uh, a wider curve than to begin with. It's really hard to describe in audio. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> Too bad we don't have a video format that we can do these things. Yeah, on. I'm thinking maybe I need <laughs> to do a video on that. Although, I've done videos on that in the hand tool school. There you go. <laughs> Everything you need. Can't promote my own product on our own podcast. Where can I? Uh, that's that's a good point. <laughs> Join the guild, everybody. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you can learn learn how to throw the carcass saw in the trash. And <laughs> hey, no, 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 no. You put it on the wall. There you go. That's true. That's on what we wall. do. It looks good up there. That's right. <laughs> nice Shannon have you seen or tried the I think it's from Glenn Drake where it doesn't have any teeth in the front part of the saw yeah. any thoughts on that for starting the cuts it just seems unnecessary is that a gimmick right. I just wanted to see I don't know well I mean it, I don't, I don't it, have a problem it, it seems like an interesting <laughs> idea that's why I asked I mean, it, it works, certainly, because what you, what's happening is you're kind of getting the inertia going, if you will, without the resistance of the teeth up front. But to me, you're just wasting real estate at that point. <laughs> um, when the – this is going to sound – That was the best uh, answer. <laughs> you're wasting real estate. It, it, it feels almost like a training wheel um, when proper sawing technique, by taking the weight off the saw, you can start – really any saw of any pitch on any wood. I actually did a, a video in the hand tool school where I took my big um, five points per inch, 28 inch rip saw, and I started it in Ipe. And if you're not, not familiar with Ipe, it's, saw, it's uh, harder than granite. Um, it's awful stuff. It's not really harder than granite, people. I don't want to get kicked back. <laughs> right, don't you know that the Janko hardness of Ipe? <laughs> it's 3,800 pounds per square inch, people. What it's really, really hard. And you can start any saw. I mean, even my giant frame resaw, you can start it on the push stroke. I don't because it's a 48-inch long blade and it's near impossible to take the weight off the blade. But it, it's, it's proper sawing technique. Take your weight off the toe and you can start it and you'll end up with a much cleaner cut and a much more accurate cut that way. Hmm. Good to know. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Glad I asked that from you. <laughs> now Glenn Drank is going to hunt me down. Yeah, they make nice stuff, man. Hey, they do make great Shannon. stuff, you know? I didn't say anything about it, but Mark didn't say anything about it, but it's all Shannon. <laughs> there you go. Go for Shannon. <laughs> cool. <laughs> all right, I got the next one here. Hey, Mark, Shannon, and new Matt. Hey. Making a solid wallet coffee table with a four-quarter laminated top. I was going to attach a top to the rails using tabletop clips, but I feel like it's a cheap way to go. I would love to hear what route you guys would take in the situation. I also, I was also thinking to attach the top the same way Mark did for his trestle table. By the way, Mark, how is it holding up? How did you attach the top to your trestle table? I don't remember. Is that just through the those cross wheels? Um, yeah, through the basically drilled some holes up through the legs, like okay. the, uh, the the supports for the legs, straight up into the top, and and had some of them elongated toward the outside. Gotcha. Uh, so that's kind of a unique situation. Yeah. So that's more like. If you actually have a rail to attach up through. Okay, so in the case of like 
standard, I guess this would be like a leg and apron construction. We're using these tabletop fasteners. Um, like if, if you want to use them, I mean, you're not going to be not going to be seen. When I do this type of thing, I make my own little clips. They're sometimes called buttons out of uh, wood, and they do exactly the same thing as like a little L bracket. They just hold that top down to the aprons and it allows the top to move in like grooves or whatever you have in there. So you can either do like little mortises, so little stop grooves for each of your little button clips, or you can do a full length um, groove down the entire apron. You can put those things in wherever you want. I mean, it's really this is a really personal decision because you can really do whatever you want as long as it takes into account the wood movement it's allowed to move around it's not really something that's going to be seen either so whatever you're comfortable with is what i would say i don't know yeah i like the clip the shop made clip solution i think is really good i use that on the not so rustic outdoor table and i I mean when i turn a piece of furniture over and i look at something like that i'd much rather see that than a piece of hardware like a figure eight yeah. fastener or something else. So, I and mean, it's the same principle, right? As yeah. those metal, it's exactly. They're the same like thing. they're like little Z type bracket yep. things, right? Yeah. And you can never run out of them. Yeah, yeah. Either way, uh, but I do like the I do like the shop made solution. Good stuff. All right, well, that just about does it. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can send us a, a recurring donation or a one time donation. Just go to woodtalkshow.com, look in that side column, and you'll see that. We always appreciate when you folks do that, and we will mention your name at the top of the show. Uh, and the reality is. Uh, laser hair removal is expensive <laughs> and uh, I cannot keep up the shaving routine. It's, it's, it's getting to me. Um, if you want, you can pick up a wood talk t-shirt at twwstore.com. Those are looking really good. And, um, let's see what else iTunes head to iTunes, look us up and click on ratings and reviews and give us a five-star rating. If you want mind, we'll accept four. anything below that. We will not accept. Uh, it just won't take it for some reason. It's weird. Uh, but <laughs> Shannon, why don't you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. Okay. If you have comments, questions, or topic suggestions, there are several ways to contact us. You can leave a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line, please, at 623-242-5180. Or you can use our fancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. Or leave us a comment on our WoodTalk Facebook page, like uh, a certain guy did this week. He left us a comment on our Facebook page, then he left a comment on our blog, and then he used the contact form. <laughs> That's thorough. So uh, he really apparently wants us to answer the question. So just did know we? you can submit it to one of those places. <laughs> and actually, no, we didn't. <laughs> so I guess that's why we're gonna. It kind of works. You actually, heard from us, that works against you. Place. It works against you when you do that. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So if you're looking for the show notes or downloads for today's show or any previous episodes, you can find us at woodtalkshow.com. Very nice. All right. Well, have a great woodworking week, everybody. We'll catch you next time. See you. Bye. 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 Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.